comes from Saul and Ananias. And, uh, you know, I, I just was impressed this week as I was reading. I, I read this story early on in the week. And I said, there's something here for us. So I don't know if you're even familiar, maybe, with who's called Saul in the Bible or who's called Ananias in the Bible. So I'm going to tell you about it. Um, but just to let you know as a little bit of background, you know, right after Jesus ascended to heaven, you can read in Acts that there was an amazing work that started to happen, that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all the disciples. So, you know, Peter was the disciple, you might remember, he denied Jesus three times. That's what he's famous for. He's also famous for right after the Holy Spirit fell on all the disciples in Acts, he's the first one that gets up and preaches the good news to everyone. And 3,000 people in one day believed in Jesus. Right after, this is right after Jesus is, has gone to, to heaven. So as the church grew, persecution grew, um, the disciples had to replace Judas, the one that, that uh, denied Jesus and betrayed him and, and then hung himself. They replaced him with Matthias. And then later they added seven more men that were chosen, seven more men to serve God. One of those men was named Stephen. So Stephen is serving God and he's addressing the Jewish council like all the high priests and it's, it's a big crowd and and like you read what Stephen says, it's like, oh my gosh, you're kind of putting your head down and getting embarrassed as, as he's calling these men, these, these religious men, he's calling them out hard, really hard. He's, he's, he ends with, he is accusing them of resisting the Holy Spirit. Like that's, that's bad. When, to resist the Holy Spirit, no one wants to do that. But especially if you're a Jewish leader and he's like, you're resisting the Holy Spirit and deliberately disobeying God's law. Right? And then Stephen stops and he looks up to heaven and he goes, I see the Son of Man standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And at that, everybody just starts to pick up stones and they stone him to death. So we read in Acts 8, verse 1, that Saul was one of the witnesses. One of the guys we're talking about, Saul, he was one of the witnesses of this and he agrees completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. So some devout men came, and they buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. So that's a little insight into this guy, Saul. Not, not a great guy, right? So we're going to pick up the story in Acts 9 and just read a little bit together. We're going to read uh, 1 to 9 just to learn a little bit more about the story of Saul. And it says this in Acts 9.1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. The, the way was the people that believed in Jesus and, and that he was the Messiah. So he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to, Jesus, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. 
Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, as I might try to read this with as as much expression as I can have, right? Reading it sometimes isn't the same as being there, right? You with me? So as I was doing my research, I found a video that I thought really depicted what was going on here. And we're just going to take a couple minutes and, and watch this video for a sec. Why do you hate Peter so much? Because his claims are ridiculous. Because the idea that God would use him as an instrument of his will to spread the word of a new Messiah is is ridiculous. How can people believe that the creator would choose a simple fisherman to articulate his message? No. No. He would choose a man in your world outside of a fishing village. Not a man who spreads lies about an imposter, Jesus, but a man who can add beauty and power and truth to his message. A man like... Yeah, that's more powerful than me reading it, isn't it? Um, to, to see that, to see God just intervene so sovereignly, right? So I, I want to look at a couple of characteristics of Saul, what, what we know about him, right? We, we mentioned in, in Acts 9-1 that Saul was uttering, uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he's on this mission, Letters in hand. He probably had a letter for Peter, right? You saw in the clip he's mentioning Peter. Like that was probably one of the people he's going and he wants to imprison Peter. 
He's persecuting the church. And and you know what? That sounds evil, doesn't it? But yet Paul thought he was doing the right thing. He he thought what he was doing, he was upholding the Jewish faith and, and the law. And he was passionate about what he was doing, that he was doing the right thing. You know, I I had an opportunity this past week to um, some pastors gather together at the invitation of Governor Sununu, and we met with him as as leaders. There was about 50 of us. And uh, one of the questions after he was done talking uh, was just, hey, how can we pray for you, right? And and I think that's a good question to ask because we're we're asked to pray for our elected officials. And, And he started to talk about personally what it's been like for him and his family going through the pandemic. And uh, I don't know if you, you remember that, you know, protesters showed up at his house um, wanting to declare their freedom, wanting to say, you can't tell us what to do. You can't take away this, this right that we have to open our businesses or mass. And, and you know what? Maybe they were right. Maybe they were wrong. That's not the point. But like he, he's like, a line got crossed. Usually there's been this unwritten line in politics. Like you go after the candidate, you never go after their family. You never show up at their home. But he's like... Crowds of people were at my home with megaphones and they're like shouting into the megaphone and, and my kids are terrified. My wife is like, what are we, what have we done? You know, and I mean, imagine that if it was your family, right? It's like, all right, one thing, he's the elected official. That's great. Go take him on one-on-one. But his family too, um, he said it got to the point they needed to have state police 24 hours a day. They arrested someone in his backyard with a gun. Like, why would someone be in your backyard with a gun? Like, that's scary, isn't it? Um, and you know what? For, for whatever reason brought those people to his door, they thought they were doing the right thing. Maybe going about it the wrong way, but they thought they were doing the right thing. It's easy. We don't, we don't want to judge Saul here. We can fall into this. People here in America fall into the same thing. They're passionate. They're eager to stand up for what they believe in. But there was this frustration with Paul when he finally, when he finally, Jesus said, it's me who you're persecuting, Paul, right? And he's like, what do you want from me? I mean, there's this frustration if, if your life has been given to, to doing what you believe is right, and then you realize you're, you're just going down the wrong path. Like, I thought what I was doing was right, and it absolutely wasn't right. I, I, I need to go to the other direction. It's like, oh my gosh, God, what do you want from me? What do I do? So Paul is blinded, and he's told to wait. Now, I don't know how many, you know, type A personalities we got here, but that's probably the worst thing for a type A person like Paul is to say, okay, now you're blind, you're helpless, and I want you to wait. It's like, ah, now you just show me that, that there's some kind of reality of, of what I'm doing is wrong. I want the chance to make it right. And it's like, I'm blind, I can't see, and I need to wait. Oh my gosh, just, just imagine what that's like for a man like Paul, or a man like Saul. So we, we see these characteristics of, of Saul, and now I want to move on to the story of Ananias and, and then make some observations. So we read in Acts 9, 10 through 19, that now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas, And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. And I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so so he can see again. 
But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. So crazy story, right? Just absolutely crazy for, for this guy, Ananias. Um, so a couple of characteristics of, of Ananias, right? He says, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done. Like, are you sure you want me to go to him? Like, there's no way I really want to do this. Now, I feel a personal connection to Ananias because if, uh, I mean, maybe you don't know this, but, but last year when we did kids camp at home and we videotaped everything, I played Ananias in Bible Adventure, okay? And, and the whole story was that, or the whole lesson of last year's kids camp was Jesus' power helps us do hard things. And we need to trust in Jesus. And that was, that was this journey for Ananias. Like, this is a very hard thing. I want you to go to a man who's notorious for taking people like you and putting them in prison. In fact, delighting at their, their demise. And I want you to go pray for him. Because, you know what, I'm showing him right now that you're coming and, and he's going to be used by me. And like God lays this whole thing out for Ananias. How many of you be like, here I am, Lord, send me. Right? How, how many, like, I don't know how we, we can put this into modern day language, but like it's very scary. Obeying God can sometimes be hard. Right? But it's our obedience. It's, it's Ananias' obedience in this situation. Like, did he have any idea who he was dealing with. Like he knew the, the, the side of Saul that was the sinner side of Saul. He had no idea that this man was going to go on to write more than two-thirds of the New Testament and all these things. Like God just said, go pray for him and I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer. God never said, I'm going to show him how much I'm going to use him, just how much he's going to have to suffer for me. But Ananias' obedience like ch- helped change the world. Am I right? right? What, what would have happened had he not obeyed? So here's a couple of lessons learned. Jesus is personal. Right? He called Saul. He called Ananias. Right? It wasn't like he just went to the non-believer. Jesus goes to the non-believer. He goes to the believer. He calls you by name. He calls me by name. He's personal. And waiting on God is often part of the process on how God uses us. And, and this is probably the thing that frustrates me the most and maybe frustrates a lot of us the most. Is like, God... I'm ready to go. I want to do. I want to be. And God's like, sit and wait. In fact, if he needs to, he'll go so far as to blind you. So you can't just like, I, I can't do anything right now. It's frustrating. But that was part of the process. And Ananias' obedience to, to overcome his fear was also instrumental in, in the process, right? So, so we all have a part to play sometimes for God's puzzle pieces to be worked together and, and to then to start to come and to fit and to make the picture that he, he desires. 
And when Ananias went to, to Saul, what did he call him? He called him brother Saul. Right? That's a powerful statement to say brother. Right? I, I don't think we recognize how often it's so important for community and for fellowship and, and to call one another brother. You know, I was talking to a pastor yesterday that pastors a church in Nashville. I'm not going to mention the name, but they had a really hard time through COVID. They, they were really exposed. COVID hit them hard. They had like a, a mini uh, supercell thing happen. And uh, it gave him all the notoriety in the worst way possible. He, he told me he had international press calling him. And he's like, you know, but Greg, the, the tough thing was I, I didn't receive too many phone calls from other pastors saying, how can we pray for you? Like there was, there was no one reaching out to me saying, how can I help? And, and that was really hurtful for him. And I'm like, oh, that broke my heart to hear that, that why, why wasn't I there? Like I know him. I could have called him. I'm not in great relationship with him. It's not like we talk every week or anything. But, but you know what? Why, why is it sometimes that we're all islands to ourselves? We're, we're all doing our own thing. And I kind of see, all right, someone's, someone's hurting over there. Oh, I feel bad for him. But, but why don't I go to him and say, hey, brother, sister, I need to pray for you. I, I need, I, like, God sees us all, but I think sometimes God needs us all to get out of, get out of our way. Just like he, he asked Ananias you got to go pray for... I can't go pray for that guy. Like, there's no way I'm going to pray for him. He could eat me alive. But there's times where God says, no, we have to get out of, get, get out of where we are and focus on ourselves and start to look at others because it could be changing the world that's at stake. Am I right? So, so now we're going to come in this next week to a kids camp opportunity. Now, if, if you're involved in kids camp, great. If you're not involved with kids camp, you don't get off the hook on this one. Because I think God has something for all of us. Maybe, maybe you're doing kids camp at home. That's wonderful. Who are you going to invite? Right? It's an opportunity for you as well. Or wherever we go, there's opportunities for us to share the good news. But, but what if God is sending kids and parents to us so we can introduce them to Jesus? What if he wants you, if you're having kids camp at home, to invite some other friends to join you so that you could share Jesus with them? Just what if that would happen? Now, to me, that's more than a what if because that's what we're praying for, right? That's why we do this, is to be able to minister to kids. But I think sometimes we're so focused on, on ourselves, we miss, we miss the perspective of, God, you could use me? Well, I'm just working in the kitchen. How, how are you going to use me to minister to families? No, you're doing something really important to enable what everyone else is doing here. Not, not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are crew leaders, right? I'm just greeting people as they walk in the door. That's my job. It's not extremely important. But God, can I show them the love of Jesus? You know, I, I was talking with another pastor this week. This was a busy week with pastor's meetings and whatnot. And, and a friend of mine, he was, he was mentioning, you know... Uh, well, actually, this is, it wasn't this week, but I saw him and it reminded me of a conversation we had as, as we were going through the pandemic and there was all this race tension. He's a black friend of mine, right? And uh, so I was asking him, hey, like, tell me some of your experiences. What has it been like growing up black? Because I don't really get it, you know? And, and he was sharing a time when he was pulled over on 93 going north. And, uh, you know, lights go on, he pulls over and and like his car fit the description of a car that was stolen. Okay, that's fine. So give me your license, give me your registration. And he goes, the cop was extremely rude to me. And, and it made me feel very uncomfortable how he was treating me. 
But he goes, Greg, even after he understood I was who I was, it was my car, it wasn't a stolen car, that the attitude and the lip did not change. And it became very obvious to me. I was pulled over not because my car probably matched the description, but more so because I was driving while black. And he goes, I left. I, I left. I was shaking. I was upset. I was mad. I was mistreated. And he goes, I was just fuming and crying out to God, like, God, it's not fair. Like, you got to judge that guy. You got to do something about that guy. And he's railing on this white cop. And he goes, and then God spoke to me. What if I sent that cop to you so that you could minister to him? And it just, it's like stopped him dead in his tracks. And he goes, here's the lesson. I'm not a black Christian. I'm a Christian who's black. You know, and I think for all of us here today, we've got to put Christ first. We can't put our own desires. We can't put who we are first, our our backgrounds. We've got to say, no, God, empty me that you can be the first person that shows up that I can always love first. Because, you know, when, when we're going through things that are hard, and if you read my shallow news this past week, it was hard for me to write some of those things because I'm like, oh, man, I just can't wait to get all the emails back about, Greg, you're wrong on this, you're wrong on that. But you know what? I'm like, I'm going to speak my heart and I'm going to speak truth as much as I can in love. And, and you know what? The response has been great. But sometimes God calls us to do hard things. We've got to put Christ first. We've got to love first. We can disagree. Disagreeing is great. But we can't go to judgment. Amen? And, and what I learned from my friend was that when Christ is first, now we have an opportunity to minister like Ananias did. He couldn't put his fear first. He had to put Christ first, and that's what allowed him to go to minister to Saul. So as this week happens, whether you're in kids' camp or not, are you going to be distracted by what people look like, by their posture, by their dress, by their attitude? Right? My friend was distracted by this cop's attitude. It just totally PO'd him. But you know what? What if God is bringing that person to me or you because we're supposed to minister to them? You know, how many times have you been tired? Okay, the hands could go up on that one. You're like, I'm just not myself. I just don't have it to give. You know what God says when you're weak? Then I'm strong. Offer it up to him. This is going to be a grueling week sometimes for kids camp. But we don't have an opportunity to get a second chance at meeting the people that come through the door. If, if we turn them away and they're like, I'm not going back to that church. They're the most unloving church I've ever seen. Like, it's on all of us to make people feel loving, right? So, so what's the opportunity that God has in front of me and you? Will we rise to the occasion like Ananias did? Because you never know. When we step up, God shows up. He could be using us to help bring someone to the kingdom that's going to change the world. And, and that would be awesome. So could you stand with me as, as we pray today? So I want to pray for kids camp. I want to pray for the volunteers, but I want to pray for all of us. You know, this idea that Jesus is personal and we've got to put Christ first in our lives, not not ourselves first. That's what Ananias did. That's what my friend did. That's what I think we need to do. So let's let's just pray into that. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity we have in kids camp coming up, Lord, and just every opportunity you give us to be to be believers in, in, a, in a world that doesn't know you, to show them that, that we love you, Lord, and we can love with, with an unconditional love. We can love first. Lord, in this time where there's so much disagreement and judging, Lord, help us to be the ones that disagree well and we don't judge. Lord, we love instead. 
Lord, help us to put Christ first in, in every interaction we have in this coming week, whether it's at kids camp or, or just in our place of business and, or what, wherever we find ourselves. God, that we would put you first. Lord, we'd have eyes on you. We wouldn't be distracted from what you've called us to, God. We wouldn't miss the opportunities. So, Lord, we we do say, here we are, would you use us? God, would you help us be bold like Ananias was bold, to, to not only hear your voice, but to obey. And we thank you, God, that you will get all the glory, you'll get all the praise, Lord. We we thank you that you're the one that does the work. Help us come alongside you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Everybody have a great day, and happy Father's Day to all the dads. Please remember your baskets on the way out.